Greetings and welcome to another episode of Credo Podcast. I'm Father Peter Duganzik. You know, today in the United States is Election Day. Today I'm recording this as Election Day. I'm not sure when you'll be hearing these words. But one of the things that has always kind of hung around in my mind and I want to at least get to, even if you're listening to this after Election Day, because I don't think it has anything really to do with an election per se, is how do we grapple with the works of mercy? Because I think so often the works of mercy have been hijacked, if you will. So today what I'd like to do is just to go a little bit more deeply into especially the spiritual works of mercy. But before we begin, I always think it's good that we spend a little time in prayer. So let us pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus Christ, I call upon you now to send your Holy Spirit upon all who hear my voice. May your Spirit come upon them, give them peace, and help them to understand your will, to help them know that you work, that you walk with them, that you work with them, and that you are a blessing for them. May their lives forever be in your hands, and may you always bring them to the truth and one day to your kingdom in heaven. For you are Lord forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the long-standing traditions of the church, going all the way back to Scripture itself, are the works of mercy, these charitable actions that we're called to do as Christians. Those of us who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are asked to live our lives according to these works. Now, I know that the corporal works of mercy are known very, very well. The corporal works of mercy are known by Catholics through and through. The corporal works of mercy are those um, that basically deal with bodily needs. So they consist in feeding the hungry, sheltering the homeless, clothing the naked, visiting the sick and in prison, burying the dead. I know a lot of people are very, very alert to them. We just recently had a food drive here and all of the Catholics, they, they, they took these paper bags with a list inside of them of, of food items that our pantry needed, and boom, they were just, the bags were lined up out the door. People get it. They know that there are those who are hungry out there. They know there are those who need clothing. They know that there are those who need shelter. And Catholics, in great numbers, have always responded. There's never been a problem there, not, not that I can tell. And, and in fact, Anytime you do monetary appeals in a church, like you have a mission speaker come in, people are very generous. And I thank God that people are so incredibly generous. But I think sometimes we have gone to the extreme with the corporal works of mercy and not really understood the spiritual works of mercy. And the spiritual works of mercy are just important. The works of mercy being these charitable actions by which we come to the aid of our neighbor is both spiritual and bodily. So in the spiritual works of mercy, as the Catechism tells us in section 2447, instructing, advising, consoling, comforting our spiritual works of mercy as are forgiving and bearing wrongs patiently. That's about all I found so far in the new Catechism on the spiritual works of mercy. A quick brief statement like that really doesn't have all of that much to, to teach us. So what I did is I went to the Baltimore Catechism. The Baltimore Catechism is usually much more detailed, at least, and a little bit more specific. And so starting at um, question 812 in the Baltimore Catechism, how can we know spiritual from corporal works of mercy? Answer, we can know spiritual from corporal works of mercy for whatever we do for the soul is a spiritual work, and whatever we do for the body 
is a corporal work. Now, I think that goes without saying. I don't think there's anybody out there that's surprised by that answer. But what are the chief spiritual works of mercy? The next question. Answer. The chief spiritual works of mercy are seven. Now, they're very specific, so listen to all seven. To admonish the sinner, to instruct the ignorant, to counsel the doubtful, to comfort the sorrowful, to bear wrongs patiently, to forgive all injuries, and to pray for the living and the dead. So they are very specific in the Baltimore Catechism about what these seven works of mercy truly are. Now, I find it interesting because in the world today, in this land of, if you will, tolerance or living under the dictatorship of relativism, even, even many Catholics have become very shy in engaging in these works of mercy. They, they really don't see the, the, the necessity for things like admonishing the sinner, instructing the ignorant. And I've talked about this even in some homilies of late because I believe that as Catholics, it's imperative upon us to be able to do that. And I think a lot of that same shyness comes from the fact that even some of our religious leaders are afraid to call out sinners. They're afraid to to speak about sinners. And yet there are many sinners out there, very public, very public in their sinfulness. And sometimes it's like a deafening silence when when the bishops, the priests, even some of our leaders in our parishes are just not speaking up, not saying things. And I think... I think behind it, I mean, I know sometimes for myself, I get a little bit reticent to do things. And that reticence comes from the fact that, well, I'm a sinner too. I've sinned and, and maybe somebody will call me out on my sin. Well, that's part of it as well. If I'm a sinner as well and someone can help me through a spiritual work of mercy, yeah. And I should be just as receptive to them as I would expect them to be to me. Now, here's the key to this. Here's the key to this. So take, for instance, admonishing the, uh, the sinner. To admonish the sinner, question 814, it says, when are we bound to admonish the sinner? Answer, we are bound to admonish the sinner when the following conditions are fulfilled. Number one, when his fault is a mortal sin. Number two, and this is key, folks, when we have authority or influence over him, And number three, when there is reason to believe that our warning will not make him worse instead of better. These conditions, I think, are pretty important. So take, for instance, um, Catholic politicians. And there are many Catholic politicians who are out there who are basically standing up and saying that they believe in mortal sin, that they're advocating for mortal sin, that they're passing laws that support mortal sin, that their cooperation in doing this, it's a formal cooperation and a material cooperation in these sins. Well, we can then say that that fault is a grave moral evil. And now that we've speak, we speak out, well, then they'll have to know that, yes, it's a mortal sin. It's a mortal sin if they support abortion, if they support gay marriage, if they support contraception, if they support euthanasia. A lot of these different things that are happening out there are grave moral evils that need to be addressed. Now, again, I'm a sinner too, but I go to confession regularly. I try to repent of those sins. And even my spiritual director sometimes, who in number two has the authority or influence, will help me to understand what I'm not myself appreciating. That's a big thing there. So, yes, I should be warned. 
I should be warned by a bishop. I should be warned by those who have that authority to do so. The key, I think, for many people is we, we, we become uncomfortable now because of number three. When there is a reason to believe that our warning will not make him worse instead of better. I can't think of a time when warning a politician or warning a parishioner or warning a fellow Christian or warning one of your children or warning one of your grandchildren isn't important. The admonishment has to be done in a pastoral charity, in a loving way. So it, it's a far different cry from some of these Catholics that I see, these conservative Catholics sometimes who will do their podcasts or their YouTube channel where they're coming out with the iron fish, the old fire and brimstone and naming names and coming down and, you know, and just condemning them to hell and, and all of these other things as opposed to the loving way of speaking. So I speak to that person, that politician, the human person who has embraced a mortal sin, a grave moral evil. And I have to say in pastoral charity, first, I need you to understand what you are doing and the gravity of what you do. Number two, that my love for you is such that if I don't say something, the millstone around my neck will be bigger than yours. And number three, and I think most importantly, the end of the road, if you don't change, is eternal destruction. It is a life in hell. That's why it's so important that we admonish the, admonish the sinner. But also, too, we have to understand what it means to instruct the ignorant. Because I think because of the silence today, because so many are not speaking about mortal sin anymore. There's so many priests who don't preach it. There's so many who, who just politely want to say, you know, the all are welcome. Let's all hold hands, kumbaya, and everything will be okay. Instructing the ignorant. And question 815 says, who are meant by the ignorant we are to instruct and the doubtful we are to counsel? Answer, by the ignorant we are to instruct and the doubtful we are to counsel are meant those particularly who are ignorant of the truths of religion and those who are in doubt about matters of faith. We must aid such persons as we, as far as we can, as far as we can to know and to believe the truths necessary for salvation. Under the dictatorship of relativism, that's where the problem comes in because nobody accepts that there are truths. There, nobody accepts that there, that there is this divine revelation, that there is this order established by God, that the nature of a thing can help reveal the truth of the thing. And so there are many people who are doubtful. Even our own tradition, there were some doubts that were raised about, say, like when life began in the womb, because we didn't have the scientific knowledge at one point that we have today. But now we can instruct the ignorant. When someone says we don't know when human life begins, we can say, no, science has cleared that up. When that sperm and that egg come together, that's a unique human person. There, it, it's its own DNA, its own. So yes, I can instruct the ignorant in this by saying, yeah, and even if you still continue to have doubts after, to encourage you, to ask you to keep thinking about this, to keep going at it, to keep trying to understand what it is that's going on. These particular works of mercy, I think, are so incredibly important. And yet the next one, I think, 
absolutely is what we need today because I think there's too many people out there that just want, I think that, you know, if, if the bishops just came out with a clear statement against particular politicians, naming them by names and condemning them and excommunicating them, which might be necessary and I'm not disagreeing with. Question number 816, why are we advised to bear wrong patiently and to forgive all injuries? Answer. We are advised to bear wrongs patiently and to forgive all injuries because being Christians, we should imitate the example of our divine Lord who endured wrongs patiently and who not only pardoned, but prayed for those who injured him. Yeah, I think that there's a, an insight there. I think there's a huge insight there. First off, I thank God Almighty himself for his patience. He bears my wrongs very patiently. I'm a sinner. I, I admit it. I know I am. He's, he bears my wrongs so beautifully. And yet he knows I keep trying. I will keep coming back again. I, will. I, I don't want to stay mired in sin. I want to overcome my sins. I do repent. And yet sometimes I falter again. And sometimes I fall again. And his patience is ordered towards my repentance. We need to be the same with our brothers and sisters. That's why the instruction is so important of constantly speaking the truth first and foremost, of offering the beauty first and foremost, but then taking it to that next level of saying, because it's the truth and it took me a long time to get here, I'm willing to be patient and I'm willing to forgive, especially the way the Lord has done for me. And so here, I think, is the most important part of why the spiritual works of mercy need a real revival amongst Catholics. Here's the reason right in front of us, staring us right in the eye. We are body and soul. We are spiritual individuals as Christians. We were reborn in baptism. We were uh, empowered in confirmation. We are nourished in the Eucharist. We're forgiven in reconciliation. These are all important spiritual dimensions and if, we, if it is true when we say in the creed that we believe in the visible and the invisible, then we have to recognize that spirituality is just as important as is anything of the body. And both go hand in hand. We can't have one without the other. And so my dear brothers and sisters, the spiritual reality, the reason that I need to always be on top of my game when it comes to admonishing the sinner, instructing the ignorant, being patient, forgiving sins, is because it's all ordered to the same spiritual end. The spiritual end of life for all eternity with God. And we cannot enter the kingdom, we cannot come before the throne of God with sin on our souls, with evils that we've committed that haven't been repented, that haven't been washed away in confession. We cannot come before his throne. And that's what we want so dearly. That's what we want the most. That's what we want for others the most. Because if I truly love you, I don't want to see you be damned for all eternity. I want to see you in heaven with God. And so, no, I don't make judgments. You know, nowhere in anything that was just said about admonishing or instructing did the word judgment show up. Because it's not about judgment. It's about charity. It's about love. It's about care. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, let's revive these works of mercy, mercy in a very pastoral and charitable way. Let's revive these works so that we too can now become the children of God that we were called to become by ourselves instructing and admonishing, but also ourselves being instructed and admonished and taking those moments patiently 
reverently and with a great joy towards eternal life. And so I encourage you, do not let this world of relativism, do not let this culture in which we swim steal from you the truth and the beauty of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and what it means when we say we love one another as Christ himself loved us. And so let us end in prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus Christ, I once again call upon you to send your Holy Spirit upon all those who hear my voice. May your spirit of peace, love, patience, and joy come upon them and remain with them forever. Amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.